Hey, we, we, um, we're talking about joy today. The, the, we're, at a, we're, we're at a very famous passage of Scripture that was just read for us, a very beautiful passage of Scripture, hopefully familiar to you. If it's not familiar to you, just take this week and just read through this every day and make this a very familiar words of Jesus to you. It's the vine and the branches. And, and we've, we've reflected on this before. We've preached from this very pulpit these reflecting on these words, and we often ask the what question, you know, what did Jesus say? What, what does it mean to remain in him? What does that look like? And today, I want to look more at the why question, not the what question. Why did Jesus tell his disciples these words? He tells them in verse 11 here. He says, I've told you this, so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. If you say, what is this passage about? Well, it's about remaining in Jesus. It's about remaining in his love and remaining in his word. And that's true. But why is this passage? It's all about joy. And joy is our focus today. We're, in a, we're, we're walking through a, a sermon series where we're looking at the different fruit of the Spirit or the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we remain in Christ, as we put our faith in Him and abide in Him. And, and today, we're on, on joy. And the tough thing is, we just finished a whole sermon series on joy. So if you've been tracking with us for nine weeks, we were studying through the book of Philippians, and that sermon series was called Bound for joy, and we were considering lots of different aspects of joy. So when we were setting up this sermon series, I, again, another confession here, I was kind of hoping that this sermon would land on Pastor Brian. Because we've been preaching joy for nine weeks. Have we not exhausted joy? Have we not just, and if you're going to dwell on anything, I guess dwelling on joy is better than, you know, nine weeks on lament or something like that. But um, I was kind of hoping it would land away from me. And But as I came to embrace that it, it's landing here. I am glad because we have not exhausted completely joy. And one thing that this is important for all of us today, we sang in our first song, we stand and lift up our hands. Why? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, the, Chris Tomlin wrote that song, but he did not write the words, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Those come from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, where God's people were reconnecting with his word and with his law, that, with his covenant, that the God of the universe has bound himself to his people in love and in promises, and that brings joy, and that joy brings strength. Nehemiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is strength. So real abiding joy in Jesus, the, the joy that the Holy Spirit produces in us, the joy of God in us will keep you going through anything that life throws at you. And that's, we, we all need that. And that's a joy that we could reflect on every week of the year. So we're asking the question, you know, why did Jesus say these famous words? He said it for joy. And we always just, and I want to keep going back to the, kind of starting with the end in mind starting with the reason why he said these things. Because we always have to know the why or we'll get hung up in the process. We'll get hung up in trying to remain in Jesus and trying to follow this teaching and we'll forget that it's, it's producing something in us. I, 
I remember you know, being a student in junior high and high school, and you, you, know, you get working really hard in math, and you're taking trigonometry, and you just, you know, somebody has the guts to say to the teacher, hey, when are we going to use this in real life? You know, we're working so hard, and I, I get it, Sokotoa, and I put the angle here and the volume of the triangle, but where do you actually use this in real life? And the teacher never told the truth, which is, you're never going to use this in real life. <laughs> They were just trying to get you to think so you can get to the next thing. I don't, I, I'm not even sure. Um, maybe it's about creative problem solving. Or they could come up with some real life example where some scientist uses trigonometry to save your life. But come on. You know, why am I taking it here today? Um, but you could really lose, if you lose sight of what the end game is or if you don't even know what it is. Here the end game is that God's joy would be in us and that our joy would be complete. That our delight would be in him. That he would be glorified in that. That's, that's the why. So we're going to take a look at this this morning. Let's pray as we, as we jump into this. Father, uh, you have given us your word. You showed us what and why and, and how. And we, we thank you, Lord, that you're not distant and mysterious, but you are close and personal and that you will even speak to our hearts and that you are transforming us from the inside out. We desire all these things, Lord, but we yield our will and ourselves to you as we gaze into your word. May you be gazing into our hearts and showing us ourselves, prompting us by the power of your spirit, Lord, moving in us, changing us, transforming us to be more like Jesus, Lord. May that be true for us individually and as a community as we do this. We pray it all in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. I want to give you three ways in which the joy of the Lord will be our strength as we understand this passage. The first is this. The joy of the Lord is our strength when we see God as the source and not just a resource. And I have to credit Pastor Jack Daniel is helping me understand this um, distinction. That as we hear Jesus say, I am the true vine, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This idea of remaining, that Jesus is the vine and we are a branch, is that he is the source. But we can at, time be, at times be prone to approach God as a resource in our lives. And we have lots of resources in our lives. We have our family, our education, our our financial resources, and we have our faith resources, and we can just look at them and we tap into them as we need them. I'm in trouble. I need God. He's my resource, and I'm going to use that. But this analogy of the vine and the branch destroys that notion of resource. You know, resource is water in a pipe, and if I need the resource, I turn, I turn it on. The water comes in, the water comes out. I have my resource, I turn it off. In this in, in this vine image, you can't, it's, it's water coming in, but fruit coming out. There's a transforming work that it's producing, and you can't just cut off from it, or you become like a, what I'll call a Christmas tree Christian, where the Christmas tree is very lovely, and it looks like it's all good, and um, it has lights on it, and it seems pleasant to look at, and there's many Christians who you know, have essentially cut themselves off from the source and they look at God more like a resource, but if you're cut off from the source, you cannot bear fruit. 
You cannot continue to live and grow. And those Christmas tree Christians might look really good, but as soon as you bump into them, you can hear the needles falling all over the packages. It's dead and it's dying. That God has designed us to stay vitally connected all the time. It's a discipleship and following Jesus is a whole life pursuit, not just a when I need it. It's, he is the source, not just a resource. When we see God as just a resource, then we spend most of our time doing our own work, striving ourselves and striving to make ourselves better and striving and laboring to try to control my temper and trying to change my character and trying to behave better. But if you think about this image of fruit, you look at an apple tree, you don't say, look how hard that apple tree is trying to make apples. You just watch and slowly through the season, the fruit is born. And there's no, there's no striving. Now, there is a role here. It's not a passive thing. Jesus commands to abide, but it's the, it's the source that's producing the fruit, not the striving. And our joy begins when, when we realize that it's his joy in us that brings true joy. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy will be complete. That our joy begins with God's joy. What brings God joy? Get this, you'll see how I work this one into the mystery box. Psalm 104. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. God rejoices in the things that he makes. That includes us, Zephaniah 3. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is rejoicing over his people who he is saving. Jesus the Bible describes Jesus rejoicing in the cross, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. That Jesus, for joy, went through the anguish of the cross because it was his joy to save his people. We, we, as God's people, and God rejoicing over what he has made and rejoicing over saving what he has made. So there's joy and salvation. And then Jesus is also described as having joy, Luke chapter 10, at the revealing of this good news of God's salvation. It says, Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. He's saying, God, you've made known to, to people, and not just the great, but the small. You are making known your salvation, and Jesus is full of joy in that. And his joy becomes our joy. And when we experience, I, I, I teach the, I help us just teach the um, third through fifth grade boys family night group, and, you know, it's a joy. Uh, it's a, it can be a little goofy. In most weeks, it's probably a little more goofy than uh, sublime, but there was a boy in our group. We were in a conversation, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior just this month. And that was so, that one moment, and the joy of seeing him know God's salvation was, made all the goofy and all the, the odors and things really <laughs> pale because it's... God's joy becomes our joy, and we get to participate in that. We get to experience that. 
But in order for us to do that, we need to see God as the source of the joy, that, it's, that God is a God who has joy, uh, not, um, not something that we, we produce in ourselves. That God, has, that God has joy. It's one of his... So I went to my first um, theology class when I was in seminary. Dr. David Wells, brilliant man, brilliant theologian. But it was right after lunch... And it was a long class, and he was, he's brilliant, but he's, you know, he's not a lot of variation in, in the voice. And, uh, you know, he said, the, the first thing you learn is the attributes of God. Who, who, what are, what are, how do we understand God if we're going to start theology? And he said, there are the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. And this is how you start systematic theology. And I think that's the weirdest thing, the communicable attributes of God because the only time I use the word communicable is when you're talking about a disease. <laughs> right? Unless you use it some other way. But in theology class, the it's actually the right image. The there's, there's attributes of God that we cannot, um, it, we are not all knowing and we are not sovereign over all creation. We can't create out of nothing as God can. But uh, we can't be, you know, omnipresent. But there are aspects of God's character that we can reflect, and joy is one of those. It's communicable, meaning the more that we are with God and the more we abide in God, we, are, we catch it. But not a disease, we catch his joy. So his joy becomes our joy, but we have to see him as the source, not just a resource to tap into. And that's the first thing. The second thing is that the joy of the Lord is our strength when we love the the one who blesses more than the blessings themselves. The joy of the Lord is our strength when we love the blesser and not just the blessings. Again, our joy comes from our connection to God, this remaining, that me, the branch, remaining in the vine, not because of what God is, is the blessings of life that he can give me. Now, we, we delight when God blesses us with things in this life, and we should, and we should find joy and delight in that. We should thank God for that. We should, you know, count your blessings one by one and, and give thanks to God. But we can't take the blessing and then love that more than the God who gives the blessing. Because if we put that blessing in the place where God belongs, it becomes an idol. And it, 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 the idol, instead of giving you joy, will rob you of your joy. A simple, silly example is you know, like your, uh, if you get the latest, if, if, you, if, you, if a blessing of your life is kind of the latest phone, that, and you, if you love that blessing more than the God who blessed you to get it, then it becomes an idol and it will not bless you anymore. It will curse you for the very reasons that you think it's a blessing. It's a blessing because it's the latest, the newest, it's so powerful, it's great. That will become a curse to you in a year, two years, when it is no longer the greatest. It, it, it inevitably will not ever be that. That's why I buy old phones. People, people slept on a sidewalk in New York City to get this phone. And you say, yeah, four years ago, five years ago. Like nobody would ever sleep, nobody would ever sleep on a sidewalk to get this piece of junk that I hold. But it brought those people, those people were so delighted when they got it. Now that gets to be mine. I'm just late. All those people had their minds blown. They were so satisfied in this thing. So now I own it. Like, yeah, but it, the thing that gave them satisfaction, it faded away. Same thing with any possession. It will just 
inevitably let you down because it will wear out or break or go away. Another example is you think about the blessing of being a parent and the blessing of, of children. And there's great blessing when your children make wonderful decisions. But if you love that blessing more than you love the God who brought the blessing, then when your kids make bad decisions, when the blessing goes away, it's, um, it's crushing. It becomes a, the blessing becomes a curse when you love it more than the one who gave it. Health. The blessing of health. And we pray for this a lot. When we are ill, we say, Lord, we pray for health. And God will at times bring the blessing of health. There's a, a healing that comes through medicine or, or surgery or just a miraculous healing. And, but if we love the blessing of health more than we love the God who gave us life, then it becomes a curse because it's, it's only temporary. And when it goes away, we might be prone to say, God, what are you, what are you messing with me? Really, what are, you, what are you playing games with me, God, that you give me this healing and now you take it away? But it's because the love is in the blessing and not the God who brought it. But if our joy is in the, in the blesser, the one who brings the blessing, it keeps us from just depending on our circumstances. We've sort of touched on this over these last weeks, but let me explain it like this. The opposite of joy is not sorrow. The opposite of joy is not sadness. Because joy and sorrow crisscross each other. Joy and sorrow can mix with one another. Jesus, in the very next chapter, in John 16, he says this. Jesus says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Let me stop there. I assume that's true. Um, I have not been through this pain myself. Um, I had a gallbladder attack once, which, which was like excruciating. But they say that uh, that's probably low on the scale of pain. I'll just take Jesus' word. A woman giving birth to a child has pain. Can we all agree? A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. The, the joy of the child exceeds the pain of childbirth. The joy exceeds sorrow. So, and again, you have Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's suffering and anguish on the cross, yet joy is greater than that. That's why I love the old hymn, the very old hymn from 1707. Isaac Watts wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And it says, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such joy and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? That in the cross you have sorrow and joy intermingled as we sing. These things are not mutually exclusive. Joy and sorrow are actually compatible with one another. Jesus had sorrow. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, the Bible describes him. Jesus was crying all the time. He's crying. His friend died. He cried. He, Jesus, uh, looking over the city of Jerusalem and sees their lack of peace, he's, he weeps over the city. But Jesus had sorrow and anguish. Matthew 26, Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. But here's the thing with joy, that 
in the midst of the sorrow, there can still be joy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, we do, we, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about these things. We don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. That grief, you can have grief, but we grieve with hope. So the opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. The pain and sorrow don't just go away. People of faith have pain and sorrow and grief, but we can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of that. And when the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we can have hope towards the future. Our hope is not, and our hope is, is in God, not in the things he gives, because those things on this side of heaven, those things are going to be temporary, whether it's the health or the possession or the relationship or whatever the, the temporary thing is. But God is, when, when we put our faith in him, we get eternal life. We are held in his hand. Nothing, Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. If the Father has given them to me, they are so secure for all eternity. And God is producing something in us to the point where the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he can say, we rejoice in our sufferings. That actually, the sufferings themselves, I can, they, they can produce joy in me. Because I know God is achieving something greater and, and something far beyond than I can eat, ever see, and I am eternally secure. But if, our, if, if we're trying to receive joy from the blessings and not the blesser, then we lose sight of that and we don't have hope. And this is why Christians, and I'll throw myself in this, this is why we struggle at times. Because we want the blessing and not the blesser. Here's a little secret. Oh. The secret is this. People don't come to church when things are just going, because things are going great. Hey, everything's going great in life. I'm going to start, I'm going to explore faith because I've got this list of things and I'm just checking them off one after another. Everything's going great and it says here on this list, you know, connect with God. So I'm going to go to that church. See what they have to say. It's typically not the story. Maybe sometimes. More typical story is, I'm suffering, I'm sad, I'm stuck, I need something, and I'm going to go see if we can find this with God at church. But the issue becomes, if we approach God primarily as a sufferer or a struggler, and you're looking for that blessing, you see your biggest need is the blessing because you're a struggler. What God wants us to see is our biggest need isn't that you are a struggler. Your biggest need is that you are a sinner in need of a savior, not just a struggler in need of a blessing. And when we realize that we need a savior and that Jesus is the savior, and when we have him, there is the joy of his presence and the joy of his salvation is his joy in us, and that is the true and complete joy when you see that your greatest need is salvation. And the beauty of the good news is that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And yes, that helps us in our struggle and that helps us in our suffering. And people find that as they understand what Jesus did on the cross. That's the blessing we really need. And when we, when we put our faith in him, we realize that nothing can pull us out of that. That we are so secure eternal. And there is hope and that's why joy and hope, we look through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, this list that we're preaching through, 
why isn't hope one of the, one of the fruit of the Spirit? And I, I don't know, but I would say that hope and joy are very much tied to one another. And joy can, is not tied to our circumstances. Because the circumstances will change, but God is unchanging. And then if, we, if he is the source, then that joy can be permanent. Lastly, third, the joy of the Lord is our strength when obedience flows from love as opposed to trying to get God's love flow through your obedience. And look at verse 9. I'll show you this. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Jesus is saying, look, I have loved you perfectly. Now you obey because I've loved you. And sometimes we're prone to think that we can manipulate God with our good behavior by our obedience. If I'm just obedient in the right ways and I just uh, follow God's rules, then I can sort of extract his love from that and his blessing into my life. Now hear me clearly on this. There is wonderful blessing in obedience. There are beautiful benefits of following God and, and, and remaining in Christ's words and, and being obedient to those words. That's why he's saying, I have loved you, now you obey and be obedient to everything I've commanded you. And we experience so much blessing through that. But it's because we are loved that we can do this, not that he's going to love me if I do these things. Romans says, Paul writes in the book of Romans, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were getting it all together, not when you were being so obedient and great, Christ died for you. He died for us while we were yet sinners. You know, it's not like a fruitful branch. You know, you get a fruitful branch that's got fruit on it. Say, hey, will you please connect with me? And that's just not how it works. It flows from the vine to the branch and the fruit is born there. And that way, whatever you think God is holding back from you, whatever blessing you're seeking, and whatever, whatever thing you want from God, if you are being obedient and God is not giving it to you, we can still have joy and trust that he has a greater purpose that maybe I don't even see. I could never even know. God's not going to give you a bad gift, Jesus says, that we trust. And that trusting obedience that's flowing from his love is producing the fruit of joy. Just remain in him and see what he does. Consider what he might be teaching you or showing you through this need you have or this perceived need that you have. The joy of the Lord can be our strength. So how do we, how do we live this out? As you leave this place, as you get up this time tomorrow... I would encourage you, what are you praying for? What is the, what is the blessing you're seeking? What, is, what do you need from God? And do you want that blessing more than you want God himself? Because what God offers to us is himself. Jesus dies himself, his body and blood, in our place, on our behalf, on the cross. That's his love that he offers us. And when we receive that love, we realize that we've received everything we could ever want. What do we really want? I want to close with a thought. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, 
which is entitled Surprised by Joy. And it really, he sees joy as a central part of the Christian experience and the Christian life, which it is. He says this. He says, joy is an unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. Let me read that again. Joy is an unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. What he's saying is that joy is pointing to something greater. You could have any of your desires satisfied, but the joy of the future hope and the full satisfaction of when God's kingdom is known in all of its fullness, the, the joy in having a sense that it's out there, even though it's not fully satisfied today, that is true joy, and it's greater than having any of your other desires satisfied. Greater than any blessing. My prayer for us is that we might know that. That we might live into the truth of that. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. May his joy be in you. And may your joy be complete.